The Guardian. Hello, and welcome to Guardian Australia's Brisbane Festival podcast. Welcome to our second episode. I'm Vicky Frost, Guardian Australia's culture editor. And today I'm going to be joined by Ben Moitzer and Catherine Viner, who have been out seeing shows across the city, which one of them was left so traumatised by a show that we almost paled at breakfast this morning. We've also been out soaking up everything that Brisbane has to offer, including getting a look at the food scene here. We'll have more on that later. But first, we're joined by City Library's reader-in-residence, poet and performer Ghost Boy, a.k.a. Davis Trevenga, who is also a former Performance Poetry World Cup champion. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, We're also joined by Edinburgh City Library's reader-in-residence, Ryan Van Winkle, who is poet, performer and critic, and who's also performed here at the festival and is going to be performing, I think, at Melbourne Fringe very soon. I definitely am. Hi. Hi, everybody. Nice to be here. So, first of all, as I've got two reader in residence uh, with me today, I think we need to we need to talk about what exactly a reader in residence does. Everybody always says, "Oh, it'd be great you get to sit around and read all day." Uh, that's not true. Uh, that's not what we do. <laughs> uh, the reader in residence project is about encouraging people to read uh, and specifically poetry, which you know, uh, there's a lot of writers in residence, and that's all about getting people to write poetry. But obviously, you need an audience for it, and so. Our jobs are, are to get people interested in poetry by any means necessary. And so that can be playing with kids uh, and doing like workshops and fun games with around poetry. Sometimes I just go to like um, a, li- a library in Edinburgh and we'll just read poems to like um, older folks who use the older library users and they have memories and we read daffodils and all of these things, you know, the, the classic poems that they all know. And then sometimes it's by doing performances and engaging with like an audience by, um, by putting poetry with music or like cabaret style and stuff like that or films and just trying to get to as many people as possible to remind people that poetry is relevant, interesting, inspiring and can be fun. Poetry, I think a lot of people look at it like eating their vegetables, you know, like they know it's good for them and they're kind of aware of it, but they don't want to. I don't like it. <laughs> And you're like, no, no, this is enjoyable and it's not something like that's good for you. We're not academic. David and I aren't academics. We just like poems. But we also like comic books and films and stand-up comedy. And it's part of that whole tapestry of art forms. It's, it's an enjoyable job. It's a great job, actually. Um, tell me about this by any means necessary. I sort of like the idea of you basically pinning people down on the street and reading poetry to them. Is it that extreme? The last people want to engage as poets because they're over-engaged with it and they think they have this ownership. And, and it's sort of loosening that up and saying, well, how do we get people to, to, to borrow and engage with this form? So by any means, means necessary, part of that is like we're doing at Brisbane Square Library uh, poetry readings over the PA through the whole council buildings, including the security guard reading love poems they've written to their wife. Uh, guerrilla performances in the middle of there's a lot of international students there just for the wi-fi suddenly i'm on top of a table reading a poem about domestic zombies so it's about saying how do we just engage people with something they've forgotten about and it's a a remembering it's a recall back to uh, a form of language and a form that we all know that we've forgotten about or like uh ryan said it's become sort of mundane and removed and, and academic and and how do we cross that distance and provoke you know poetry's there to provoke so i'm out in the wednesday markets uh, amongst the fruit stalls i like being near the avocados something reassuring about that and i'm doing doing a a poem about you know whatever whatever comes to mind something sexy near the pumpkins whatever it requires people go hey this thing is valid we should support this i mean we have a river right through the middle of the city i mean that's as poetic as it gets you know and and in edinburgh we did a we did a thing because speaking of just 
uh, going up and reading to people. We sat in the park, St. Andrew's Square in Edinburgh, and we had the poetry army one day, and we just gave out poems to people who were passing by, and we were just like, here, just have a, have a, this is my favorite poem, and young kids, come, well, you know, students, university students going up to people, businessmen, and everybody passing through and just giving them poems. And very few people said no, but one or two did go, well, I don't like poems. And then we had a couple of actors who, <laughs> who memorized a bunch of poems and they would go up and say, look, uh, I can give you a funny poem, a sexy poem, or, or, or a sad poem. Which one do you want? And just would read to people who were having lunch in the park and, and doing that. So like, there's loads of different ways into it if you, if you want to try, yeah. And uh, which one did people want? Did most people go for the sexy poem or the sad poem? Let's say, let's say everybody went for the sexy poem because Edinburgh is kind of a sexy city. Tell me a bit about being readers in residence. So I haven't met lots of readers in residence. I like that you've met each other. Is there sort of like a worldwide network of uh, readers in residence? Is that what happens? Um, this is the worldwide network right here. You know, Edinburgh, a US uh, poet in bad yellow shorts, fantastic moustache next to a sort of graying, uh, overdressed uh, poet in, through Brisbane's winter, trying to make a difference across sister cities. I mean, that was one of the first times it had been done. It's never been done before in, in Australia. And it's about saying, let's flip it on its head. Let's try and engage the audience because there's nothing worse than going to a poetry reading where the audience is made of poets. And that is where the form has arrived at in many ways. And then you had Poetry Slam come, come along and make it entertainment and, and, and other crowds come along, but you've also lost a little of the, of the poetic. So it's like, how do we engage people with, yeah, with, with poetry in a way that invites them in without completely dumbing it down? Not that I'm saying that's what Poetry Slam does, but there's, a, there's an in-between. So yeah, I think, I think what we're trying to build here is hopefully a program that can be replicated in other, other towns and play with poetry. Like I'm there as a live writing installation. People can come and write with me, have a little lounge chair. It's kind of intimate. You can read one-on-one -on -one with me and I'll read your poems and recommend what you can, can borrow. So yeah, it, it, poetry is alive in its own way. So it's interesting you're talking about one-on-one -on -one performances because I think, Ryan, your show that was at Edinburgh, very well received, read like a room used to feel and is now going to go to Melbourne Fringe. Um, that's one-on-one -on -one performances, isn't it? Yeah, I've been really interested in kind of how to present poetry to people um, and just giving people different ways to access it. So if you call it theater and you call it an installation, you call it some, a little something else, people will come along and see it. And so what I do is I essentially invite you into, uh, oh, this is gonna sound this is gonna sound creepy. That's what I like about you. <laughs> I assure you it's not creepy. Uh, so yeah, I invite people into my bedroom. I sit them down on a bed. <laughs> Don't go into the yeah. man with the mustache's bedroom, yeah, okay? Yeah. You'll, have, you'll have shorts on, tight shorts. Five star reviews. <laughs> That's for the shorts. The reviews for the shorts. That's it. Um, so yeah, I invite you into my bedroom. And, and yeah, it sounds a little bit creepy. And some people are a bit trepidatious. It's best that people don't know what's going to happen. So I invite you into my bedroom. And there's a the room is curated. So there's lots of artworks from friends from Edinburgh, Martin McKenna, uh, Haley Beavis, Faith Elliott. Um, and you get to choose one of these four envelopes that are on the bed. You pick one. You sit down on the bed. I pour you a cup of tea or a glass of port. I offer you some biscuits, and then I very simply read four poems to you, uh, very quietly uh, with the, the soundtrack playing, and then I leave, and you're alone in the room, and one last poem comes on, ties the whole piece together like the rug in the Big Lebowski, and then that's it, and it takes 20 minutes, and you're in and out, and you just have this little moment to listen to things. And, and I, the reason I did it was, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to do it, but I think the reason I wanted to do it was I, I was writing quieter, subtler material that I didn't feel comfortable reading in front of a large audience. And I just wanted to like 
speak it very quietly and not perform. So I don't perform. I don't even, to be honest, I don't even look at you. And there's absolutely no touching. I like this idea of sort of, we should perhaps all be speaking more poetry. We should be speaking more poetry to each other in those sort of intimate situations. So what are your top tips? Because people feel, can feel quite self-conscious, I think, reading a poem to someone else. If you're going to read poetry, the key thing is to not try to perform it. You know, to go with, well, what, what, is, what is the way that you speak normally? What is the way that you would, um, yeah, vo- voice that part of you that, that has something to say? And don't get too practiced and don't get a, a reading voice and don't overthink it. And, and it's okay to stumble. And it's beautiful to see readers that are vulnerable, that are awkward on stage. They're, they're, I love that as much as a great performer. You know, poetry's become very, very safe. There's a lack of danger. And that's where I get excited when things become dangerous and sometimes they fall apart. And I like heckling. I like response to poetry. You know, there's this thing where it's like that didactic thing where the poet performs and then you clap and I'm interested when they don't clap and then I come out off the stage and we see what happens. I have never heckled a poet. That is something I've never done and I feel it's an experience missing from my life now. Give it a shot. <laughs> come at us, you know, look at this. You know, it's I a do bad think, Anthony, you know, get off. It's time. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> I, th- I think we are done here and it's time for you to go. So get off the stage, please. Thank you very much for joining me. David and Ryan, thank you. If you want more information about where Ryan's performing, just head to Guardian Australia's pages where you'll find more information on everything in Brisbane Festival and beyond. I'm Vicky Frost and you're listening to Guardian Australia's Brisbane Festival podcast. Of course, we're really interested in performance. There's loads of amazing events happening all over the city. But, you know, a team's got to eat. And you'll find restaurants all over Brisbane are offering special dishes for the festival, their festival flavours menus. So we went out to see what was on offer on those menus and beyond and to get a flavour of Brisbane. So this is, uh, this is a lemon myrtle. Over here we've got, uh, we've got some cinnamon myrtle. This is a native ginger. Um, we've got seven garden beds. When I first started here there was grass, I, I could hide in the middle of it, and there was grass that sort of was above my head. So uh, we had a quiet week one week and totally transformed it from there. Hi, my name's Bryant Wells. I'm chef and owner of Tucker Restaurant. Wallaby shank, emu flat fillet, emu prosciutto, crocodile tail. Uh, we do 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 possum as well. Um, it's probably our most com- controversial piece of native native uh, flavour. Everything that we have in the restaurant has some sort of native inspiration. So we do uh, traditional European methods of cookery. Um, a lot of it is is sort of French based cookery. It's it's heavily heavily immersed in French based cookery because the original owner was a, was a French French chef. But everything that we have has some sort of influence and some sort of focus on native plants or native meats. There's a much much smaller uh, carbon footprint on with native native ingredients. One of the blocks that needs to be taken down is chefs need to know how to cook the ingredients if you cook things right absolutely fantastic emu is emu tastes nearly identical to venison it's it's beautiful rich mineral sort of um, red meat it's meat 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 Um, inside skirts lamb shoulders mini lamb shoulders flat irons um, sirloin scotch fillet beef cheeks veal cheeks i suppose the philosophy is around more meat correct my name is Jeremy Clark, executive chef of the Hilton Brisbane. I think the philosophy is just simple, fresh, seasonal produce and just literally let the, I suppose, ingredients do the talking. 
I was originally, at 16 years old, a kitchen steward for about two years back in the UK. Uh, the chef then said, do you want to be a chef? And I, I just loved that whole creativity. You've got to love cooking. Uh, it's long hours, it's demanding, stressful, a pressured environment, but at the end of the day, if you love it, it's what you do. Like my grandfather used to always say, you know, your job's got to be like a hobby, and that's how I feel. I suppose you've got the normal elements that you know marries with something. You're not going to put a, a pineapple with a scallop or something um, at the end of the day. But, you know, that whole brainstorming aspect, you know, you, you've got a perception of what goes with what, but sometimes you've got sort of like another chef that says, oh, why don't we try X with Y? And you go, oh, I don't know about that. But then you try X with Y and you you taste it and it does marry well you know the textures go well and then you start that whole creating new dishes aspect and getting all the chefs involved and that's probably what the fun part is about cooking we have a fillet steak that we we flatten to sort of like a i don't know less than half a centimeter thick bash it out season it flash it on a quick pan or on a quick grill serve it with some little pommes frites or some little chips and a little bit of Café de Paris butter, watercress, and it's done. Literally three minutes. Secret snack. So this is just the bowels of the building. Keg room, very integral part of the operation. My name's Jocelyn Hancock, and I'm the food consultant, food stylist for ANC, owned by Damien Griffiths. Are the owners at the bar having, a, having dinner? That's always a good sign. No, we're just going the importance of having a connection with local growers was just the idea that it would be such a great product. You know, to be able to trace back where that steer had come from in a certain area of the Darling Downs and how it had only travelled um, six k's to the abattoir and it had been hand-selected by the farmer and um, bought by the butcher and then slaughtered locally. To me, that just was innate that you would end up with a quality product. I guess at ANC the, the quality of the meat is paramount and I had that connection just through my rural background of knowing these butchers, you know, three generations, four generations and you knew these people and you knew who the farmers were and you knew that they'd always had great beef. Food has become and eating has become much more a part of our life um, than it was probably 20 years ago. Um, it's not daggy to be a chef anymore. It's not, um, you know, frowned upon to be a baker that works through the hour, through the through the middle of the night, producing handcrafted loaves. I think people are just more aware of quality generally. I'm Vicky Frost, and you're listening to Guardian Australia's Brisbane Festival podcast. Yesterday we talked to Jocko Rai on the podcast, which was fantastic. If you missed it, you can download that too, of course. Uh, their theatre show starts later in the week, but on Saturday night they played their final gig. We went along, and here's a track recorded live. So let's talk about what we've been seeing in the evenings here. We should start, I think, by um, 
saying that Ben Neutzer, who joins us with Catherine Viner, um, Ben arrived at breakfast this morning looking slightly like he'd had a terrible shock and was traumatised by the show he saw last night. So Ben, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, it was quite um, touchy-feely, will I say? <laughs> <laughs> Particularly for me. Um, I mean, I don't want to give away too much of what happens. It was... Um, Hello, My Name Is by Nicola Gunn. A lot of the beauty of it is in just allowing her to take you where she's going to take you. But I did get dragged up onto a little platform in front of all the audience members slash participants and was made to lie flat on my back while she laid flat on top of me. Um, for about two minutes while she delivered a monologue. And what do you think about participatory theatre? Kath, how do you feel about it? I, I tend to get very British about it and sort of a bit like, just just leave me alone. I didn't come here for that. But I know that's not quite the spirit. What about you? Well, I had a terrible experience, although not quite as terrible as Ben's. Although Ben sounds like he enjoyed it, to be honest. But um, <laughs> I, um, I, at Edinburgh, I saw this dreadful, well-known Belgian group. I think it's called something like Onturid. Um, Foed, Toed, something like that. Um, it's hard to pronounce. And I think they're coming to the um, Sydney Theatre Company next year. I did not enjoy this experience of internal at all. Um, there were sort of eight of us, I think, and there were eight performers. And you were taken off to the side to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation where they asked you very deep, intimate questions. And then you went into a group and the people interrogating you shared some of the knowledge with the group, which you didn't know was coming. I'd heard that there was always going to be one person who was picked on and they tried to pick on me. Anyway, I really wouldn't have that. And that sort of, sort of disrupted the whole show. Yeah, I, I've had terrible experiences as well where I've been pulled up on stage and in one show where there was only about eight people in the audience and we got to and I had to be on stage for the whole thing and I was reviewing it. And it got to the end and, and they sort of realised basically I was the critic and I'd spent the whole play on stage. I mean, writing that review was just impossible. I like, I mean, I like immersive theatre. I love Punch Drunk. And, um, you know, I really, um, I saw the latest Punch Drunk that was, um, that's on in London. And when I went home in July and I really loved it. So, Ben, um, how, apart from uh, getting laying on, um, how was the show last night? How, did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. And I think as a critic, when you're reviewing a piece of participatory theatre, you have to really just go with it. Because with any piece of theatre, the idea is that you have to experience it the way that any audience member would experience it. So I really enjoyed it because I just went, OK, got to, got to kind of roll with this. I'm not in my hometown. I can just roll with it. Nobody's going to recognize me apart from ben obviously now you've just admitted to the fact that you were there last night and everyone else in the audience will now be joining the dots to think who you were so that's sort of gone i suppose that's backfired slightly now ben who was laid on <laughs> <laughs> yes at the end of the show there's kind of a pivotal moment where somebody in the audience one of the participants is a pivotal character and that was me but um there was <laughs> the the strangest thing is that she said to me, have you ever had to make some kind of decision in your life that has made a lot of people very unhappy? And I thought, well, if this doesn't go well, I might just. <laughs> um, Kath, what did you see? I hope nothing you were on stage in, I hope. <laughs> no, I was in the audience and it was a nice proscenium arch and it was very clear who was performing and who was in the audience. So I was very happy with that. 
So um, I went to see uh, When Time Stops, which um, is by a dance piece by the very uh, well-known Australian choreographer Natalie Weir. And I was very excited about it because I'd never seen her work before. And it was pretty special, I have to say. Um, the idea is, is that a woman at, um, at the point of her death, her life is flashing before her. Sort of intense moments come back in flashback. And the dancing was just gorgeous, really physical, lots of, uh, you know, couples work quite sexual, very emotional. There were, there were three male dancers and um, the choreographer says you could see them as three men in her life or one man at different stages in her life and it's up to the, um, the audience member to decide how they see that. It was fantastic. How lovely. So I think I went to something maybe slightly um, in between the two. So I went to see The Wizard of Oz, which is, um, which is not what, uh, what you might think, um, very much not what you might think, which is the Danger Ensemble and uh, Le Boite Theatre Company. And it's a really interesting thing. I'd heard lots of people, people had very varied views on it before I went. Lots of people had told me it was awful. Somebody had told me they thought it was great. And I think I sit somewhere in the middle of those. It's an interesting show. It really subverts the uh, story of The Wizard of Oz. Not to give too much away, because it, it would quite spoil it, I think. Basically, you know, you start with this sort of booze-addled, red-haired, drunkard woman who is, you know, calls herself Judy, goddammit, who is basically beckoning in this cyclone in an attempt to return to Oz. So, you know, she's in this trailer beckoning in this cyclone in the hope to go to Oz and, and um, relive that story. And it's a really, really interesting concept. And I think it's a brilliant place to start a play from. There's lots of very interesting elements to the play. And it's very um, strikingly designed, which, you know, is a real sort of, I think, motif of Danger Ensemble's work. But for me, there was perhaps slightly too much style. And I, I wasn't quite sure about the substance behind it, how everything really fitted together. And the end, I felt that logically the piece didn't make sense. And while it is a dreamscape and that is kind of part of what they're doing, I felt it just didn't, it, it didn't make sense. And I feel like even though you've got all those lovely elements, actually something has to hang together properly. But it is very interesting and it's actually, it is a good piece of festival theatre, I think. It's, you know, it does sort of push a little bit more. It's not a safe option. It was very busy last night and a young audience, lots and lots of young people in the audience, which got to be a good thing, I think, and a great central performance as well. Do you think the people, everyone going, realised that it was a kind of subversion of The Wizard of Oz and not just a recreation of uh, Toto and Kansas? And I think they've tried quite hard, actually, in their publicity material, which is this very striking image, which doesn't really have a great deal to do with the show, to be fair, but this very striking image. So I think, I think they've made it clear. Yes, it's quite far from over the rainbow, let me say. <laughs> very, very far indeed. Um, and, it, you know, a really a piece worth seeing, but um, slightly frustrating. Kath Viner and Ben Neutzer, thank you very much for joining me today. Ben, we'll see you later in the week. And uh, Kath, you're returning to Sydney tomorrow, so have a lovely trip and we will miss you here, of course. I'm Vicky Frost. This is Guardian Australia's podcast from the Brisbane Festival. That's all for today, but do head online for more coverage of the festival. You'll find information on everything mentioned in the podcast and more at Guardian Australia in our daily live blogs, features and reviews. And don't forget, the next podcast will be ready for you tomorrow. The Guardian. 